nice, isn't it? Good morning, everyone. Welcome to each of you. We're glad you're here this morning and welcome all of all of you to the house of the Lord as we share in uh, fellowship and in worship together this morning. We welcome our guests, especially today. You're very important to us. We're glad that you're here and, and hope God's going to bless in a very special way. Let me remind you uh, of the attendance sheets on each row. We'd like to uh, ask if you would to take those and uh, fill them out, uh, provide any information you feel comfortable giving to us, and pass it down the row so others can do the same. Uh, we would appreciate that. A uh, few announcements that we have. First of all, uh, Sue Berry. Where'd Sue go? There she is. <coughs> couple of announcements. One, you all will see in your uh, bulletin about the spaghetti dinner, which is to benefit uh, the children's program here at the church. Uh, several in our Sunday school class ask about, would it be a cost per plate or a donation? It will be donation. They are asking that you sign up on the back bulletin board so will they know how much food to prepare. Now, you also might notice when you read there that we're going to have a little bit of competition after the spaghetti dinner. How many people like to compete? How many people like to win? Oh, yeah, come on. I know better than that. We are going to have a snowman building contest. Okay? Yes, we are. Somebody says, well, if we don't have snow, well, you're going to have to come and see what we're going to do. Get together a team of four, okay? Start planning, okay? And we're going to have a competition after the spaghetti dinner. You can, children can join in. Anybody all ages, okay? But it'll be a lot of fun. So I'll try to get a winning team together because we want a lot of spirit in this. Second, we'd like to announce about the upperclassmen that will meet a week from tomorrow. Uh, we had that in the bulletin, but we didn't mention that we're celebrating Lent and Mardi Gras. So bring a Cajun dish, bring your beads and any type of paraphernalia that you associate with Mardi Gras. Do wear a shirt. I was told to be sure and say that. So... Um, so come and have a, a, a fun day fun day with us on that. One thing that is not in the bulletin I'd like to make a plug for, uh, some of you all know that we have a program that we do at the Center for Training Center. Jerry Wagner and I are the sewing ladies, and we go every week and do a project with the clients there, usually about 16 people each week. If you're cleaning out for spring and have any sewing items, 
scissors, pens, safety pens, trim, material, anything like that, please bring it and you could leave it up by the um, community outreach basket. And I know Mary will know that if it's sewing stuff, it doesn't go to the outreach. Uh, but help us out. That would be wonderful. We kind of do this on a shoestring, so any donations we could get for that would be wonderful. So thank you very much. Thank you, Sue. Uh, just a couple of other announcements to make. Uh, we have entered into the season of Lent, and one of the things that uh, we traditionally do during this season is to uh, uh, celebrate the Lenten season, observe the Lenten season, along with uh, uh, some of the other churches in town, um, the Ministerial Association, through our Lenten lunches, and they will begin on Wednesday. We will have lunch beginning on Wednesday um, uh, this this week. It will be at First Christian Church, and that will be at 12 noon. It will be about a half an hour worship service and then lunch afterwards. And so everyone is welcome to be a part of that. It's a great time. It really is. It's good to join together with the community of faith from all around Henderson, people of different churches, different denominations, and it's good to share in this time of worship and fellowship together. So we invite you to uh, to begin this time Wednesday at First Christian. We will be hosting it here the following Wednesday on February the 28th, and I think we're still looking for some volunteers to help with that, and, and uh, we would appreciate that. Uh, one other announcement. Um, on uh, uh, the following Sunday, uh, or, or next Sunday rather, uh, we will be viewing the movie Selma. Uh, this is about the, the civil rights movement. Uh, of course, this is uh, Black History Month, and we're we're going to be looking at, at that movie uh, that talks about uh, the struggle uh, in the town of Selma, Alabama, specifically, and everything surrounding that. So we're going to be viewing that movie at three o'clock next Sunday afternoon, and then having just a brief discussion afterwards. It won't be very long at all. Uh, so we invite you to come and be a part of that, learn something a little bit about history, and hopefully be inspired as well. So uh, I hope you'll be a part of that. Let's stand now. Let's greet each other in the name of the Lord. Let's share God's love with one another. together. Oh, loving, creating God, you have chosen to be in relationship with us, your people. You have, through your grace, brought us under your wing of protection and love. You have pledged to be our God, and you have asked us to be your people. 
trusting in you in all of our ways. But we find so many excuses to keep us from really trusting in you. We put up so many barriers before our faith journey even begins. Our time, our obligations, our energy, all of these things can become a part of the brick and mortar that we use to set up this wall between us. And we can give lip service to the journey of our faith. We can daydream about what it would be like to truly place our hands in yours and follow you. But when it comes to actually making the journey, our time constraints and our weak commitments get in the way. So help us, God. Help us to tear down this wall. Make us ready for the journey of faith by replacing the fear in our hearts with a deep sense of joy and the challenge of following You. Remind us that it is in our service to You and to others that we will truly find ourselves. O God, we come to You in prayer, bringing before You the names of our friends and family members and and other situations in which healing and, and comfort are needed. We are especially mindful of the tragic loss, yet again, of young children and their teachers in Florida. It seems that our hearts are ripped from our chests again and again and again as these kinds of tragedies become more commonplace. Forgive us. Forgive us as a nation that we have, we have become a place where these kinds of things are allowed to happen. Forgive us that we sacrifice our children for the sake of our cowboy mentality. Forgive, forgive us for our overworked and underfunded mental health system that should have caught so many tragedies before they became tragedies. Forgive us for not noticing the disconnected child in the classroom. For outward violence often begins with inner loneliness. Forgive us for sitting on our hands and praying when we should be doing something. But God, it's hard to know what to do. And so we pray. We pray for your guidance as the Prince of Peace. We pray for comfort for those who cannot be comforted. And we pray for ourselves, that we would put aside our own biases for the sake of our children and find a solution. Make us ready, O God, to hear your word and then to be witnesses to the world of your love and your call to peace. Amen.
morning, kids. Glad you're all here this morning. Today, Dr. Tim's going to be talking to us about a loving God and his dealings with his children that often found themselves in trouble. And it's relevant for us today because we're all God's children too. And we often find ourselves in in trouble. This reminds me of a time, I was about your age uh, growing up. I had a, a brother that's three years younger than me and a sister that's six years younger. And it reminds me of a time uh, back then, uh, I, my brother and I would play with matches. And <laughs> I know some of you find that hard to believe. But... Uh, and my loving parents had to break us, try to break us from this. And oftentimes we would get caught. And they'd bring us into the house and, and tell us what our punishment was. And it started out with, you know, being grounded or stay in your room, stuff like that. And we, we would be remorseful. We'd say how sorry we was and that we wasn't going to do it again. And it wouldn't be much longer as time passed, we would find ourselves playing with matches again. And this continued like three or four times. And it got to the point, the parents were just like, what are we going to do? And I remember uh, my mom would light a match and grab our hand and have our finger out there and hold it over that flame. We'd feel the heat to try to break it from it. You know, it wouldn't burn the skin, but we could feel the heat. And there again we'd say, I'm sorry, I'm going to be crying and carrying on. And, you know, this kind of just repeated itself till one day we had this field out back that we played. We'd dig holes, we'd climb trees. It was a favorite field right behind our house. And we're out there, my brother and I, and he pulls out of his pocket some matches. And, and, and so we go to this field and we've got a little pile of gravel and, and sand and we start to light these weeds and watch them burn down. And, and then we throw some dirt on it and put it out. And we keep doing that, doing that. We let it burn a little more. All of a sudden, the flames just took off. I mean, went clear around the field. And the flames got six, eight feet, you know, and we're all out of this dirt and sand and, and we're just panicky right now. You know, my mom and dad were at work. We had a babysitter. She didn't know what was going on. And so <laughs> I think my brother ran to the house and told the babysitter and she called the fire department. And, you know, and I see the neighbors coming out with their garden hoses and they're wondering what in the world, you know, on both sides. And here comes the fire trucks and they're, and smoke and everything. And, and, uh, so she calls my parents and I remember my mother coming home in the driveway and she pulls up and she just stares ahead. She's just at a loss as to what she's going to do. And I see this from the view out, out back. And, and I'm like, so she calls me in. She finds what happened, who's responsible. And I tried to pass it off onto my brother. Well, he brought the matches out, you know. And that didn't work. But my brother was sent to his room. She sat me down in the middle of the kitchen and said, you wait till your dad gets home. And that wasn't for another, like, three hours. And while she was fixing dinner and all. And, and so at times I would act like I was, I needed to go to the bathroom. And I'd go in there and I'd stick a bunch of towels in my britches. And <laughs> it's like, this isn't going to work, you know. So then I'd act like I was asleep and maybe she'd just take me off to the bedroom, you know, and I'd fall asleep and they'd just kind of let it slide. But no. When my father got home, oh me, down in the basement we went. 
drop those drawers. And back then they wore these little black belts, real thin. And when we'd get whippings, he a lot of times would fold it over, not this time. And he grabbed me by the arm. And round and round we went. It was the worst whipping I ever had. But if this, what the pastor is going to be talking about, it reminds me of what these people were going through. You know, God gives us a gift to love, to love Him. He wants us to choose that. Choose to love Him. And we're all His children. And my prayer would be that you never have to be disobedient like that. I know we all make uh, mistakes, but, you know, you think about how bad, you know, that could have burned down many people's houses. A person could have died from that fire. But see, that was me being disobedient to my loving parents. And that was the result of something that I choose to do. So hopefully you make good choices in growing up and listening to your loving parents because they know what's best for you. Our loving God who created you knows too. You know, so as you grow in your knowledge of Jesus Christ and God, I pray that you stay close to Him. Okay? All right, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You for this moment that we can gather and worship You to convey our love towards You as You conveyed Your love in so many ways to us. I ask that You watch over us and help us to grow in the knowledge of Your grace and Your love. And may we love each other as You loved us. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, we come to you today and ask that you help us in a world so full of hate to be the loving Christians that we know that we need to be. Help us not judge others by their circumstances, but to lift each other up Um, in your name, dear Lord. Please help our little children know that they can come to us in any circumstances. Watch over them, not only physically, but spiritually and mentally as well. In your name we pray. Amen.
Our scripture today is Joel chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your clothing. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relents from punishing. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering or a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the aged, and gather the children, even infants at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her canopy. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep. Let them say, Spare your people, O Lord, and do not make your heritage a mockery, a byword among the nations. Why should it be said among the peoples, Where is their God? This is the word of the Lord. nice you know I can't hear that song without thinking about oh, oh father where art thou or oh, oh brother where art thou what a great great uh, 
great song and great message there. Um, as you know, we have begun the season of Lent. Uh, we got things started on Wednesday as we joined with our sisters and brothers from uh, First Christian Church and Zion United Church of Christ to observe Ash Wednesday together this past week. Um, I, I have to say, though, that it seemed a little bit weird to celebrate Ash Wednesday on Valentine's Day. Uh, I, I mean... What puts you more in a romantic mood than going to church and having a bunch of ashes put on your forehead? And I can hear some of you guys right now. Honey, I've decided to treat you like royalty on this Valentine's Day. We'll go to Burger King for lunch and Dairy Queen for dessert. How's that for royalty? And then we'll go to church and spread ashes on our foreheads and repent of our sins. I don't know, it doesn't really sound very romantic. Um, But I'm all in favor of of Valentine's Day. Our world would be a a lot sadder place without romantic love. I heard a a touching story about one of the great old-time comedians uh, from way back, Jack Benny. You probably remember him. seems that sometime before his death, Jack was in a flower shop, and as he was leaving... He said to the florist, if anything should ever happen to me, I want you to send Mary a single red rose every day of her life. Mary, of course, was Mary Livingston, Jack's wife of 48 years. And indeed, when Jack died, there was provision in his will that Mary would receive one perfect red rose every day for as long as she lived. True love is a beautiful thing, isn't it? But, of course, the most beautiful love of all is the love that God has for you and me. And that's why we're here today. A lesson from Joel begins our Lenten journey of fasting and repentance, looking towards Christ's ultimate expression of love, his death on a cross, and then his resurrection on Easter. The setting of our scripture begins like this. The people of Israel were facing a terrible disaster. You see, quite suddenly and for a long period of time, they fell victim to an invasion of of, of locusts. Now, one locust isn't too bad. And even a few locusts can be managed pretty easily, but an invasion of an entire army of locusts is incredible. They fill the air and darken the sun like an eclipse. They swarm for miles over our la- over the land. The advanced columns will attack anything that is green. And in about a half an hour's period of time, every leaf is destroyed. Then other locusts will come in behind them and strip all of the bark off of the trees. The noise of their wings can be heard for miles and the land takes on an appearance as if it has been been burned, been swept by fire. And a land is, is so devastated that it takes years to recover. And we need to remember that in biblical days, the primary source of life in, and income was what? Agriculture. That's just about what everybody did or had something to do with it. And so when the land was invaded and devastated by locusts, not only were the crops destroyed, but the animals also suffered and many of them died. And in the worst case scenarios, people starved to death. And so this was a time of darkness and doom for the people of Israel. People lived in fear, much like we would do in a time of of natural disaster. Think about the devastation from Hurricane Katrina. Think about our brothers and sisters in Puerto Rico. It's been five months since they were hit by uh, Hurricane Maria. And 400,000 citizens are still without power. Can you imagine if that was you? Think about... The wildfires, the devastating wildfires that swept through California, the most destructive wildfire season on record. Thousands of homes were destroyed. Tens of thousands of people rendered homeless. And then to add insult to injury, now that the hills have been deforested, 
Because of the fires, they're having to deal with floods and landslides, mudslides. It will take years to recover from these disasters. But now imagine these disasters coming at you one behind another, continuing for years with no end in sight. That's what a locust plague was like. The locust plagues that we read that we read about in the book of Joel were something that had never happened at this on such a scale as this. The people were distraught. They tore their clothing in despair. They they wondered what they had done to make God so mad at them that God would send such devastation upon them. Now you need to know something about the Old Testament attitude toward suffering. In their minds, any kind of suffering was invariably linked to people's sins. They thought that if you do something wrong, God will punish you for it. And, and some of the prophets reinforced that understanding. Whether it was from an, an invading army from Babylon or a period of drought or, or in this situation, a swarm of locusts. They felt that God was in control of everything. And so if you're suffering, it had to be because you somehow ticked God off. And there are some people who believe that even today. If they have an illness, they believe God is punishing them for something that they've done wrong. And if they need healing, their first question is, what did I do wrong? And then they appeal to God for forgiveness, believing that if they ask God with enough sincerity and enough strength and faith, they might, God might give them a break. And there's some validity to that, because some of the problems that we, that we have to deal with, we do bring on ourselves, don't we? I mean, behavior has consequences. And so if you're driving 90 miles, miles an hour along a winding mountain road and you go off the side of the mountain, then while you're flying off to your doom, you might reflect on how you got there. But please don't say that God has decided to punish you. God didn't have anything to do with that. It's the law of gravity that's punishing you, not an angry and vengeful God. And that same principle applies to sickness or any other problem in your life. If you've been a heavy drinker all of your life and you suddenly discover that your liver is shot, don't say that God is punishing you. Truth is, God is grieving right along with you. You see, God loves you. God doesn't want any of God's children to suffer, and that includes you. I saw an article this morning proclaiming that God was behind the school shooting in Florida this week because God was mad that the Lord's Prayer is no longer said every day in the classroom as the classrooms begin. Don't do that. Please, don't do that. That's not the kind of God that we have. God wants us to be happy. God wants us to be healthy and whole. And, but God has also given us a freedom to live our lives the way that we choose to live our lives. And if we make bad choices, sometimes those choices are going to come around and bite us. Or even worse, sometimes those choices are going to come around and bite others as the bad choice that was made in Florida on Wednesday did. But here's the thing. Most illnesses are not related to our behavior at all. We know that now. Old Testament people didn't know anything about genes or bacteria or environmental influences. And so if someone came down with leprosy or locusts, the only explanation they had was that a God who controls everything is mad at us. And that's what they believed. It's a very Old Testament belief. 
So let's move over to a very important New Testament principle before we go any further. And here it is. Bad times, whether it is an illness or an injury or a natural disaster or a school shooting or anything else that is beyond our control, these things are not God's way of punishing us. Jesus said it quite clearly. God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He could have just as easily said that God allows locusts to invade good nations and bad nations and God allows dandelions to grow in the lawns of righteous people and unrighteous people. That's just the way things are. Some things that happen to us in this world have nothing to do with whether we've been good or bad. They just happen because we live in a fallen world. Now, it's up to us to do everything that we can to make sure that they don't happen. But sometimes, despite our best efforts, things happen. And it has nothing to do with God. There's nothing we can do about it. There was a best-selling book a number of years ago that dealt with this question of why good people suffer. It was titled, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Some of you probably have read this very helpful book. It was written by a Jewish rabbi. And it tells of his, the story of his own confrontation with one of life's most hurtful crises. You see, Rabbi Harold Kushner and his wife learned that their young son, Aaron, was afflicted with a mysterious ailment called progeria, or rapid aging disease. They were told that their three-year-old son, whom they loved so dearly, would never grow up uh, beyond more than about three feet in height. He would have very little hair on his head or on his body anywhere. He would look like an old man while he was still just a little child, and he would probably die in his early teens. Can you imagine anything more horrifying than to get news like that? Well, naturally, Rabbi Kushner struggled mightily with his son's condition, as as we all would. It seemed so unfair. I mean, Rabbi Kushner knew that he had been a good person, and and he tried to do what was right in the sight of God. He he was more committed to his faith than, than most people who had large and healthy families. So how could this be happening to his family? How could a loving God do this to to him? And even if he could persuade himself that he had somehow deserved this punishment for some sin that he had committed, then on what grounds did his son Aaron have to suffer? He was an innocent child. A happy, outgoing three-year-old. Why should he have to suffer the physical and the psychological pain every day of his life? Why should he have to be stared at and pointed at wherever he went? It just didn't make any sense. Kushner said that he and his wife had grown up with an image of God as an all-wise and all-powerful parental figure who would treat them as their earthly parents did, or even better. If they were obedient and deserving, then God would reward them, reluctant, uh, and, and, and give them what they need. And if they were out of line, God would discipline them. And God would protect them from being hurt or from hurting themselves. And God would see that they got what they deserved in life. He assumed that God knew more about the world than he did and and could always be counted on to bless him for doing what was right. But what was happening to his son contradicted all of that. Tragedies like this were supposed to happen to selfish people, to dishonest people. How could this be happening to him? And how could this be happening to his son, his family? Well, if you read the book, you'll find yourself probably weeping along with and for 
Rabbi Kushner and his family. And with him, we may confront the shallowness of our own understanding of why bad things happen to good people. But in the pre-scientific world in, in which the prophet Joel lived, there was no understanding of the forces of nature that can cause harm or even to even the best of people. All he saw was that his people were suffering desperately. In fact, they were suffering so badly that they were pulling at their hair. They were ripping their clothes so that they could show God that they were sorry for whatever sin it was that they were guilty of that had brought God's wrath upon them. And like Rabbi Kushner, they couldn't understand why these terrible things were happening to them. And Joel couldn't understand it either. But he was right in his diagnosis of what the people needed to do. He wanted the people to understand that there was a better way to show God their desire for forgiveness than tearing their clothes. He writes, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping and mourning, and rend your hearts, not your clothes. Return to the Lord your God, for God is gracious and compassionate, compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. My, my friends, this is what we need to see this morning. Those times of suffering that all of us face are not times of punishment for our sin. However, when we are in, in a um, sinful state, we sometimes cut ourselves off from God's or anybody else's helping power. And that's the tragedy of sin. You see, God's desire is always to help us, to strengthen us in our time of need. But sometimes when we need God the most, we hold God at arm's length and we turn away from God. Sometimes when we need God the most, we deny ourselves the comfort and the strength that God can provide to us. And so when when Joel tells the people to rend their hearts and not their clothing, he is asking them to, to look within their own hearts and to see if there's anything there that can impede them from experiencing God's grace and love. There's a Hebrew legend about a, a disobedient angel that pleaded for mercy from God. And God said, I, I shall not punish you, however... In atonement, you must bring, back, uh, bring me back from the earth the most precious thing in the world. And so the angel began searching all over the world. And he found a, a soldier dying of wounds received on the battlefield defending his country. And so the angel caught the last drop of blood and brought it back. And God said, the courage of one who gives his life is precious. But it is not the most precious thing in the world. So the angel resumed the quest and he roamed the earth until he came across a nurse who was dying of a disease that she had caught while nursing a child back to health. And God said, the selfless devotion of one who saved the life of a child is very precious, but it also is not the most precious thing on the earth. So the angel continued to wander and then one day he saw a farmer preparing to kill a man who was stealing his cattle. And the farmer stood at the window outside of the thief's cottage. His gun was cocked and aimed and he was ready to pull the trigger as he watched the man kiss his children goodnight and tuck them into bed. And at that moment, the would-be murderer remembered his own children and he lowered the gun. He shuddered to think that he had been on the verge of destroying the happiness in this home. And a tear rolled down his cheek. The angel caught that tear and brought it to the throne of glory. And God accepted the tear with rejoicing. God smiled and said, you are fully pardoned for there is nothing more precious on the earth than a tear of repentance. 
As we enter into this season of Lent, we are asking God to cleanse us from anything that might prevent God's perfect will from being done in our lives. You see, we're God's people. We, you, each of us, we are God's people. But we are imperfect people. We miss the mark of holy living. And so what do we do about that? We pray. And we take the time of Lenten preparation to take a good, hard look at our own lives. And we ask ourselves, what do I need to do? What do I need to change about me in order to live more fully in the joy and in the grace of God? Amen. We've come to that part of our service where we will observe uh, the ordinance of communion, the Lord's Supper. And all are invited to participate in the Lord's Supper. Christ never turned anyone away from a table. And we are all God's children and we are all invited to participate in the Lord's Supper. We will have people stationed at the front. We'll have two stations here at this front. Um, uh, Two of us will be holding the bread. Two of us will be holding the cup. And we will begin from the back and make our way forward down the center aisle and go to one of the stations, take the, the bread, and move to the next station to the cup and dip the bread in the cup and then eat the bread that has been uh, uh, infused with the with the, the cup as well with the the, the juice uh, the blood of Christ and then return to your seats along the side if uh, if you can't make it forward or would prefer not to we will have deacons that will be coming down the center aisle with a traditional um, communion as well and they will serve you at your seat if you would prefer. But everyone is invited. And I hope and pray that as we take this communion, we think about it. We think about the significance of it. You know, sometimes we take the bread and we take the cup and we kind of do it because we do it. It's habit. It's something that we do here from time to time. But I think especially during the season of Lent, we need to be thinking about what it means. Because when you take that bread, it represents the body of Christ. When you take that cup, it represents the blood of Christ. It represents what Christ has done for you. It represents the deep, deep love that God has for you. The kind of love that that God doesn't want to punish you. The kind of love that God would take the punishment for you. And He did on that cross. So be mindful of that as you take this communion today. And be thoughtful about what that means for you and what you need to do in response to that. So deacons, if we will come and prepare for communion, we will begin. night when he was betrayed took a loaf of bread and he gave thanks he said this is my body that is broken for you 
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, This is the blood of the new covenant. He said, Take this bread and eat it. Take this cup and drink it. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you remember the Lord's death until He comes. That is what we do when we receive communion. It is a time of remembering. Let us remember together. Let us sing together our closing hymn. And let this be the prayer of our hearts. I surrender all. Today, and that is that we have a, a, a new member who wants to join our church, and that's Jody Porter back there. Uh, many of you know Jody. She's been around here for a while. Jody, can you wave your hand so people can say hi <laughs> and know who, who, who you're talking Yeah, hi, hi, James. Good to see you, too. <laughs> Uh, Jody has been uh, been with us for a while and and uh, has been in our church and um, and she feels that this is her family and she wants to be a part of this family and so she is uh, coming to unite with our our, uh, our church by statement and uh, I hope that you will be with me and join with me as we welcome her into the the Community Baptist Church family and if you would do that let me uh, encourage you to raise your hand and say amen. Amen. Jody, we are so glad that you are officially a part of our of our church here, our family. And the people around here will tell you, they could probably say it uh, by heart because I say it so many times. Because every time a church member, a new church member joins our church, the charge I give to them is that we are all ministers here. Every person who is a member of this church is a minister of Jesus Christ. And that means that we look forward to the ministry that we have for you in the days ahead. And we also look forward to the ministry that you have for each of us and for the people in this community. So we work together for God's kingdom. That's what this church is about. So welcome. We are glad that you are here. Um, We're glad you are a part of us. Let us stand now for our benediction. Go from here believing that the Lord has heard your prayers, that the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs. God will make you strong and you will be like a spring of water refreshing others. For God goes with you. Amen.